But just give you a little setting here about what's going on in this chapter. Jesus is with 11 disciples at this time. It's in what we call the upper room discourse. It's that time when they went up, you know, in the upper room and they spent that time together before they left. And chapter 18 says they left and they crossed the brick Kidron. And, of course, they went over there and Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there they came, remember, and arrested him. And he had false trials and, of course, the crucifixion and resurrection. So that's, that's kind of the setting what's taking place. And what's important to me there is we are really looking at the, the last hours that Jesus had to spend with his disciples, that he was saying things to them here in these last hours that I would think would be very important uh, and hopefully very important to us. Uh, of course, all that Jesus said is important, but especially when he comes down to these last days, you know, I really want you to get this, you know, and I want you to understand this before I leave you. So we come to John 15, and it begins with the last of his seven I am sayings. In the Gospel of John, seven times he says, I am. And the last one is here in chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. If you'd like to follow with me, I'm going to read eight verses instead of 17 like your sheet says, because I just can't preach a 45-minute message in 17 verses. So we're going to take eight verses, okay? He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. There's a great prayer promise. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your indwelling spirit. We thank you for your presence with us today, Lord, as we uh, open this scripture together. Lord, you know each of our hearts this morning. You, you know the, the struggles that we have as your children sometimes. And, and God, I just thank you that you use those to draw us closer to you and father even sometimes the successes that we have in life have a ten tendency to make us proud and, and i thank you that you love us too much to even go that direction in our life you you also bring that to our attention and draw us back to the path you've laid out before us so lord i, I thank you for the scripture i pray that you'll use it in our lives and uh, lord like I, I said you know our hearts you know our needs Maybe there are those who have not yet believed and you've been dealing with them and bringing conviction in their life and calling them to yourself. And I just pray, Lord, that they would respond to you in a way which would bring honor and glory to you. Pray for your children today that we would see ourselves in this parable, that we would realize that each of us are in this somewhere. And Father, not that it would cause us to doubt, but God, it would just cause us to rejoice in who you are and what you're doing in our lives. 
pray that you continue to be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we begin this, in the very beginning, as I said, this is the seventh I am saying of Jesus as he identifies himself. Of course, today he says, I am the true vine. Uh, you know, this is an image that these uh, followers of Jesus, I said 11 because there was 11 at this time. Uh, this is an image that would be very familiar to them because God very often used this image to teach the truth of his chosen people, Israel, in the Old Testament. And I just want to read one instance of that to you. And kind of, if you can get this picture in your mind of this vine. In verse 8, he says, you, talking about God, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and it filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. So there in the psalmist, when he's talking about the Old Testament, the people of God, he's talking about their deliverance and, and what God did on their behalf and how he planted that vine and as that vine grew, how it covered the land and it went out to the oceans. And It's just a beautiful picture of what God had planned for his people. And now Jesus, he, he comes and he uses that same image, but instead of talking about the Old Testament children of God, he's now talking about these disciples and he's talking to those who would follow him. Now, this is to be a beautiful image of what Christianity is, that we are branches connected to this vine, Jesus Christ being this vine. And just that same way, if, if we're not going to get to it today, but verse 16 talks about, you know, I've, I've appointed you to go, the Great Commission, and I have appointed you to bear fruit, the Great Commandment, loving. You know, and he's saying, this is a picture of what the church is supposed to come, become. And that is my desire for us as a people that, man, we would just see ourselves as the Lord Jesus Christ sees us. And we would see Jesus as he is. Because when he says he's the true vine, he's saying to us, listen, I am the original vine. I am the true vine. There, there's no other vine. You cannot connect yourself to something else and have the same results, the same fruit that you have when you're connected to me. So he starts out with that, I am the true vine. I am the one who is the source of life. I am the one who gives every spiritual nourishment in Christ Jesus. All right? And then he says, secondly in that first verse, he says, my father is the vine dresser. And this is the exact same Greek word as farmer. Uh, but basically he, he's saying, you know, this is a vine. He is the one who cares for this this is one who takes care of this vine he he works with this vine he he lifts up this vine when the branches have may have fallen in the dirt and he'll lift it up so it can get sunlight and so that it can produce the way that he desires for it to, to produce so he is the vine dresser now as i thought about that I, I thought about the picture there in the psalmist again how it focused upon god he said you took them out you planted them all right? And it's the same way with us as the children of God. Folks, it is of God. God is the one who called us. God is the one who connected us to the vine. God is the one who is caring for us as the branches. So it starts with God. And not only does it start with God, it also ends with God. Because when the vine dresser would reap the harvest, he would share in the fruit of that harvest. He would eat it and he would trade it. But our scripture teaches that when we bear fruit, the way God desires us to, that He is the one who is glorified and that we prove ourselves 
to be disciples. And you might say, well, man, what kind of vine dresser is this? I mean, my goodness, is God sitting up there with some kind of super ego where, where we have to do everything to please Him and glorify Him? That, that's not the issue at all. The issue is we have been created for His glory. And dear brothers and sisters, when we do or we become what God has created us to be, that is when we find the greatest fulfillment and joy in life. So when he says, glorify me, he's not some big old, big old ego. He's also concerned about what is good for us. So he is the vine dresser. He is working on our behalf. He is doing things to us and in us so that we will be producers of fruit. So we have the vine, the true vine, who is Jesus. We have the vine dresser, who is the Father. And then we have the branches. And you see those scattered through these eight verses, all right? So let's stop and think. He, he talks about two types of branches. Now, when I prayed, I, I said every one of us would find ourselves in this parable somewhere. And we do. An image, whatever you prefer. It's also an image that he's using to teach the truth. We find ourselves in here somewhere, okay? So I want us to look in this and find ourselves somewhere. Not to make us doubters, but really to be shouters that will rejoice in what God has done and what He is doing in our lives, okay? So let's look at these two branches. Hopefully you don't find yourself in this first group. The first group is a group that does not bear fruit. Did you see what the vine dresser does with the branches that do not bear fruit? In verse 2 he said, he takes them away. In verse 6, he says, they are thrown away. They wither. Wither, no life, right? They wither. He gathers them and he throws them into the fire where they burn. All right? Now, I'll tell you what. That verse could shake us up a little bit if we just take that verse and, and just make a big theology out of it. And regretfully, some people do that. They, they take this verse and they say this is individuals who are true believers and because they didn't obey or they didn't do something they were supposed to do, well, the vine dresser, he walks up to the vine and he just snaps them off and he takes them with him. Okay? That's what some people would say about that. I have a problem, personal problem with that because me personally, I don't believe the Scriptures teach that it's the type of vine dresser that we have. All right? So let's think about this. Believers, what does God's Word teach us about interpreting the Word of God? Number one, we never make a theology out of one verse and a parable. Never. Jesus did not give us parables to teach us instances of major theology. He always has one major point. And the major point in this one is those who are abide in Christ, they bear fruit. But then we do have these verses like this that we have to deal with. But let's not take this verse all by itself and say, yeah, this is believers that got hooked in. And man, the vine dresser went and said, hey, you're not fruitful enough, dude. Nap. And they cast them away. Why not? Because it just goes against what God's Word says. Okay? When we interpret a verse, we interpret that verse within the context of the, of the paragraph, of the chapter, of the book, like this is the Gospel of John, and then of all 66 books. We just don't take a verse and say, hey, that's it. That's what I want. So let's look and let's just see what John says about this. And by the way, we've been studying John. I'll tell you what, 
John, if you want to fall in love with Jesus, if your love for Jesus has been getting a little cold, get into John. Every page, every paragraph speaks of Jesus, okay? He's on every page of it. Of course, he's on every page of the Bible. But, I mean, he really, you really see him in the Gospel of John. And over and over again, he gives us assurance that we are going to persevere as the children of God. Let's look at John 6, verses 37 through 39. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, listen to this next phrase, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. John 10, verses 28 and 29, he says there, I give them eternal life. Talking about His sheep. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You know, let's, let's look over at one of Paul's writings. And really we could look at more than just one of Paul's writings. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. He wrote there to that church. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then 2 Peter. I, I like to turn to 2 Peter when I'm talking about this uh, because the verses just ring so true about the importance of interpreting things in light of the context. So listen to verse 20 and 21. This is going to sound like somebody who really got saved and they got lost, okay? For if, if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. Now, if we just look at those verses, stop there, it's pretty easy to say, you know what, that is teaching Someone who's really came to a knowledge of Jesus, they can be lost again. Let's look at verse 22. Context. What is the true proverb? <clears throat> what the true proverb says has happened to them. Who? The people we just read about. Okay? What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. What is that telling us? It's telling us a dog returns to its vomit. A sow returns to wallow in the mud. It doesn't say a lamb does. It says a dog and it says a pig. In other words, what it's saying to us to there, referring back to those people, they've never had a changed nature. There's still the nature of what he would call a dog. There's still the nature of what he would call a pig. You know, when I was a kid, I used to show pigs in a county fair, believe that or not. 
I'd get out there on my little stick, and the pig would run off, and I'd chase it, and you know, but I never got a showmanship award. But anyway, you know, I would show pigs, and I'll tell you what, we'd take those things the day before, and we would wash those dudes, and we would take the clippers and burr our old hair down, and we'd put powder on them if they're white. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We'd get that pig clean, and we'd take him out there, and we'd show him, and he was one clean pig. I tell you what, he was still a pig. And when we took him back to the farm and we put him in the corral, guess what he did? The closest mud puddle he could find. Why? He was still a pig. And folks, that's the same true with us. When we are born again, we are given a new nature. That new nature, that new heart, comes with new desires. New things that we seek in life, like Jesus Christ and how to please Him and how to be satisfied in Him. See, there's a difference between someone who plays the game of Christianity and someone who's truly been born again. See, these, these fruitless branches are those who have all this outward appearance of a believer, but inside, they're spiritually dead. Judas is a really good example of that. It was a chapter before this in chapter 14 or 13. And old Judas, he was up there with the twelve in the upper room. Judas got his feet washed by Jesus. Jesus, all the, night, all the time knowing this was the one who was going to betray me, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper and even handed a morsel of bread to Judas and then said, go do what you must do. And Satan entered into him. But listen to what verses 13, 28, and 29 say. I just marvel at this. Now no one at the table, who was at the table? The disciples. No one at the table knew why he said this, Jesus said this to Judas. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that we should give something to the poor. You know, my point there is this. Judas spent three years with those other disciples. And those other disciples never questioned his loyalty to Jesus. They thought he was one of them. See, what I'm saying is, folks, we need to be careful. We, we can play these external games. We, we can dress ourselves up in religious clothes and religious language, and, and we can like to hire, hang out with Christians because they're really neat people, and, and we really like to be around good people. And all the time, we're dead inside. All the time, we don't have that spiritual life that only Jesus Christ can give us when we are connected to the vine. Now, am I, am I saying that to cause you to doubt? No, I'm saying that to let's see the glory of Christ in this. He, he keeps us. He causes us to persevere. But, dear friends, we have a responsibility in our life as well to respond to the grace of God. You know, I, I also would say this morning to you that Jesus is speaking a word of judgment to them. And this judgment is actually a warning, actually a word of grace to them that they might see this, that, that they would understand that as they go and they leave this place and someday they take the gospel around the world, they would understand that this gospel is much more than just outside appearance. And they would understand this gospel is much more than just saying the right words. And they would understand that this gospel is not about religion. In fact, Jesus told in the Sermon on the Mount a story about some people who came to him and said, Lord, Lord, and, and, and he didn't even know who they were, he said. And then he said, they said to him, many, many will say, Lord, I prophesied in your name, and, and, and Lord, I, I cast out demons, and, and, and Lord, I did mighty works, and, and Lord, I, I tithed every Sunday, and I 
I went to church every time the doors opened. I just added those last two, by the way. But what I'm saying is, you know, we come with all this religious talk and we say all these things that will be accomplished. And Jesus said to them, I said to them, I never knew you. Not that I knew you one time and, and then I never knew you. He said, I never knew you at all. So I just want us to be reminded this morning that folks, it's not about these external things we do. It's about something that God being at work in us with the life of Jesus Christ. And He is bearing fruit in us by the work that He is doing. He's just warning us. Listen, folks, be careful you don't just play church. Don't disregard the warnings in the Word of God because He said there are those who will be thrown away. There are those who will wither. There are those, plural, that He will gather and He will throw into this fire and they will burn. And burn is the continual tense which means not just burn up but it means a continual burning never stopping just like Matthew wrote in chapter 25. It is an eternal fire. It is an eternal punishment. So He is warning them about branches that don't bear fruit he's saying true christianity is not about outward appearances it is not about religion it is not about being attached to a church by a prayer i have prayed or a baptism i have gone through or a membership on a book all some of those things are good but that is not what it means to abide in christ that's not what it means to be right with jesus christ see dear friends in ourselves. We just cannot produce good fruit. If you are a lost individual, your will is in bondage to sin, and you cannot produce a fruit that brings glory to God. See, he gives us a warning. He says to these 11 disciples, Now listen, you remember there are branches that don't bear fruit. You've got to stick to the gospel because there are branches that do bear fruit and what does God do with those what does a vine dresser do with those he says he prunes them now you know that's something we need to be thankful for I've heard people say no I don't I don't like God correcting me well we should like God for correcting us because he does that out of grace he does that because he loves us he prunes us in a lot of different ways and I, I won't mention them all but I know he prunes us with the Holy Spirit uh, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. I, I know the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to chip away at our lives and to correct us and make us into the people that He desires us to be. In fact, over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, I, lo I love this verse. Uh, of course, we love it for one reason. It tells us all Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God. We love that part. But then look at this last part. I remember a discipleship class I went through, in fact, in this very church probably 23, 24 years ago. And it talked about discipleship, and it showed it as this straight line, how we who are disciples of Christ, you know, we, we should live a life of righteousness. But it said, and we do, you know, we're walking this life, and all of a sudden we begin to have thoughts that are not right, or we begin to have desires that are not right, and we begin to act upon those things. And instead of walking this line, we begin to go off of this line. Well, what does God do? He says He uses the Scripture for reproof. The Word of God, the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and He will say, Hey, you're not supposed to do that. God's Word says whatever it is that we're doing, He corrects us, He reproves us. 
So reprove, he says correction, which means he brings us back. He brings us back to this path he's called us to walk. And then he says, and training in righteousness. So that's one way he corrects us. That's a pretty nice way to be honest with you. I think that's kind of like using pruning shears. You know, a little pair of pruning shears. He uses the word. We're going along. We start sinning or doing something. We begin to fall off. He reproves us. Then he corrects us, get us back. And then he trains us in righteousness using the word of God. So that's one way he prunes us. Another way that he prunes us is that great chapter in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. We're not going to read it for time's sake. But if you would take time this afternoon to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, it talks about the correction or the chastisement of God. And it says how He chastises only His own children. You being chastised says you're a child of God, okay? But then He does that chastisement, and then down at verse 11, He says why He does that chastisement. He says because it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness. Okay, so God never corrects us, chastises us, prunes us without the purpose of bringing us back, working in our life, chipping away at our character so that He might continue to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends, I, I tell you what, we need to be very thankful that we have a God who loves us so much, He does not allow us to go after our own things, but He loves us so much, He draws us to Himself, His life being joined to Jesus Christ, His life flows into us. So what, what happens when He prunes us? Well, verse 2 says we bear more fruit. Verse 5 says we bear much fruit. Verse 8 says we bear much fruit. You know what that tells me? God prunes us with the purpose of us being branches that produce more fruit. That should be a natural thing in the life of a child of God. There should be an ongoing growth of fruit within the life of a child of God. I tell you what, brothers and sisters, if we have been a child of God for 30 years and, and our character is the same as what it was the week after we was born again, there is a problem somewhere. In fact, I would say if we've been a Christian 30 years and our character is the same as it was five years ago, there's some issue in our life that needs to get worked out because God is continually working within our lives, making us, shaping, conforming us to become in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, will we become perfect? You know me better than that. Uh, I'm not saying that at all. But there is this continual chipping away in our life pruning at these branches that we will be people who bear more fruit. So we bear more fruit. Now, you know, I see this, the majority of this scripture that I read as being sanctification. And what I mean by that, sanctification, we have in two ways, and I'm sure you've heard this before. There's positional sanctification, where when you are saved, you are set apart by God. Okay, that is a positional truth. We are righteous in Christ Jesus. Then there is a progressive sanctification. and It doesn't bother me whatever term you use. But it's that sanctification that starts at the moment of our new birth. And it continues until the day that we go to glory. And that sanctification is a continual working of God in our life. And us working in harmony with God. Okay? That sanctification making us like Christ. 
Now, I, I said working in harmony with God. I don't want to put too much responsibility on us, although we do have a degree of responsibility in our progressive sanctification. But we need to remember, we who are the children of God, we do what we do because the Spirit of God dwells within us. I guarantee you, when, when we love somebody, it's because the love of God has been shed abroad in our life by, the Jesus, by Jesus Christ. When we have a bubbly smile on our face, and it's not because of the situation around us, but we just have joy in our life, it is because the Spirit of God produces joy within us. So we need to always remember it is because God is at work in our life. He is producing this fruit. Now this scripture also deals with, uh, I, I guess justification would be the, the best word to use. Uh, you know, there's so much really that happens at that moment when God makes us alive. You, it's hard to say, this happens first, this happens second, this happens third. You guys may have that all figured out. I don't. But, but you know, there, there is this time within that working of God that we are clean, that we are made righteous, that we are regenerated, we are made alive. Now, I want you to look at verse 3. And, and I'll go back to verse 13 with this again, or chapter 13 with you again, too. But verse 3 says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I want to point out just something real quick here. And I, I am not a Greek scholar, and you know that. I have trouble with English sometimes, and you know that. But anyway, we have study tools we can use, don't we? Okay, this word in verse 3 is different than this word in verse 7. This word in verse 3 is the word logos. Okay, you know where else logos is used? John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That living word of God, that truth of Jesus Christ. Okay. This in verse 7 is Rima. Rima is like the sword of the Spirit. Not necessarily talking about all 66 books at once, but that instruction, that word that God gives us in our life to become what He desires us to be. So there's two different words there. Now what's what important about that? You go back to, is it chapter 13? Chapter 13 where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And there's Peter. Wednesday night group, we call Peter a foot-in-the-mouth disciple. Okay, because he always does it. In fact, after chapter 13, he never says another word until after chapter 18. Okay, so I guess this kind of slowed them down a little bit. But in chapter 13, Jesus was washing their feet, and he came to Peter, and he said, You can't wash my feet. This is my translation, okay. And Jesus said, If I don't wash your feet, I have nothing to do with you. And Peter said, Well, if you're going to wash my feet... Bathes my whole body. And Peter said, He who has been bathed once needs only, or Jesus said, He who has been bathed once only needs his feet washed. What's he talking about there? He's talking about that initial cleansing where we come to Christ Jesus. And it's not baptism, it's when we come to Christ Jesus and we are joined to Jesus. And if you want to talk about the baptism the Spirit does, and we're joined together. We are clean by that word, by that truth, by that logos that he has spoken to us. John 5, 24. He who hears my word, logos, and believes 
has eternal life. Okay? Verse 7 is Rima. So they're looking back at chapter 13. It explains verse 3 to us. He's saying, you're already clean by that living word that I have spoken to you. But he says, now, now you're clean. You don't need to be pruned. But the, the, the caregiver, the vine dresser, he is going to prune you that you bear much fruit. So clean, one-time act, pruning many times in life, many times. God will prune us because it's for our good. So looking at that, we have to ask the question, if, if this is, we are believers, those of us who are believers, and we're connected to the true vine, and there are those who are branches that look like believers maybe, but they're not connected to the true vine. Well, those who are connected bear fruit. So what is that fruit? What, what is that that is distinctive in the life of a believer compared to that individual who is still in bondage of sin to his will? Well, that's an important question, isn't it? I don't think it's talking about souls you lead to the Lord. Okay? And the reason I say that is too often we put too much responsibility on that. And I don't think he's talking about that. Could it be included? Yes. And I wouldn't fight you over that. I, I know the scripture says there's lots of kind of fruits. Okay? There's a fruit of repentance. There's a fruit of faith. There's a fruit of holiness. Fruit of righteousness. Fruit of good motives. There's fruit unto God. I, I mean, you can take your Bible and you can do a word search and you'll find many, many fruits. Okay? But in the context of this, the, the whole chapter and some of the scripture above it, I, I want to stay with the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. Let's remind ourselves what the fruit of the Spirit is. Galatians 5, through 23. I bet a lot of you have this memorized, especially probably the children in the Christian Academy. I bet these are two verses you memorize. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such. There is no law. I don't even think that's a full list, honestly, because he said against such there. But anyway, that's what I think of when I think of this parable of the vine and the branches and the fruit. Because the fruit tells us the character of the vine, doesn't it? In the corner of my yard, I have a morning glory vine. doesn't have fruit. has flowers, okay? And I didn't know what it was till I asked. But I asked someone, what is that thing? I cut it down every year to the ground. And that dude's six foot tall again, okay? But that thing will grow up and these beautiful purple flowers will come all over it. And he said, well, that tells us it's a morning glory vine. Oh, okay. Well, then I got tomatoes in my backyard. And just for sake of this, let's say they're vines, tomato vines, okay? Guess what they have on them? I have yet to pick a squash off one of my tomato vines. They have tomatoes the fruit tells us the character of the vine and in my mind when we're talking about a living branch attached to the living vine and the life of that vine flowing through that branch and bearing fruit I would think that fruit is that which bears the character of the vine so I look at those kind of things love, joy, peace and one reason is because those three things are mentioned in the context of the upper room. Peace, love, and joy. The fullness of joy. So we who are the children of God, 
we should be bearing fruit that reflects the character of God. Okay? And, and when, when we go out of this place, as he says later, go and bear fruit. Man, when we go out, we go with the Great Commission. Of course we do. But what if we go with the Great Commission and also we go with the idea that Jesus said, go and bear fruit. Bear fruit that reflects the life of Jesus Christ. What if you go over to somebody's house that can't do something for themselves and you go over there and you love them and you serve them with joy and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ? How much does that speak to that individual? And then when you do have the chance to speak Jesus, I think it has much more bearing upon a person because they see the reality of Christ in that person's life. So he tells us to bear fruit, and bear fruit that brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I, I want you to know, and I'll remind you again, that God is the one who does this work, and of course we work in accordance, in harmony, I should say, with God. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Hebrews chapter 31, 20 and 21 now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, listen, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom him be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, that, that is the life, that is the fruit that Jesus Christ bears in the life of the individual who is attached to him. So that, that makes me ask myself a question. Is, is my desires and my affections and, and my behavior and my words and my deeds because they come from my heart, or are they with things which reflect Jesus Christ to this world? Are they? See, I believe that's the call. That's what God has appointed us to, he would say later in verse 16. See, brothers and sisters, fruit means there is life. Fruit means that tomato vine out back is alive. It's bearing fruit. My squash plants are dead. You know how I know? They're not bearing fruit, and they dried up. Fruit tells me there is life. And we who are the children of God, we should be bearing fruit to reflect back to our Heavenly Father, just like verse 8 says, we will glorify God and we will prove we are His disciples. How? Bearing fruit. So, last question. We've talked about what are these branches and the vine and the, the vine dresser, very clear to us. We talked about the branch that bears fruit and the branch that does not bear fruit. So let's ask ourselves, Another question, which I probably have answered in several different ways, but this, how is this fruit possible? How is it that I can bear this fruit that reflects the character of Jesus Christ? Well, first, let me start at the very beginning. There's got to be that connection. There's got to be that uniting to the vine. That uniting to the vine, which God says is a work of grace through faith. He joins us to Jesus Christ. No longer are we under the law, but now we are under grace. He would say in Romans chapter 7, 
we are joined with the life of Jesus can flow through us. So my, my first question to this group would be, are you joined to the vine? Do you have the vitality of the life of Christ within you? Because that life is what flows through, the, through us and bears fruit. Are you joined to Jesus? The second question I would answer for us today, are we abiding? I, I like the word persevering. Some like the word secure. John used the word abiding here. Are you abiding? Well, this word means dwelling. It means remaining. It means being at home. But it's used in two ways. One way that it is used, it means to remain in a place. Like if we were to leave today and Drew decided he didn't want to go home, so he was just going to spend all day here, guess what? He would be abiding in this building. It talks about in a place. I bet he don't do that, but it talks about abiding in a place, okay? That's one way it's used. It's not used that way here. The way it's used here in our text, it means the continuing condition of a person. So when we abide, there is a continuing condition of a person so what is the continuing condition of a person who is abiding in Christ there is a condition of life we abide in his life how do we abide in his life we trust we rest we believe he is who he says he is and we believe he will do what he says he will do. And we just, it's faith. We just rest in him. And we remain in that condition because of what he is doing in our life. We rest because we know that he is sufficient. We rest because we know that he is the one who satisfies. We rest because we know how much we need him. We rest. And it is the believer who rests in Christ who bears fruit. And he prunes us so we bear much fruit. Verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a pretty plain, simple statement, isn't it? Apart from me, you can do nothing. We just can't. We cannot do anything that will satisfy God on our own. It's a work of God from the beginning to the end. And I know that I cut out those later verses because of time, but I'm going to point out verse 16 anyway, if I may. And I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier. He says, Jesus speaking, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. And another prayer promise, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Did you hear what he said there? Same kind of words he used about the nation of Israel. I chose you, I appointed you. What did he appoint to us? To go and to bear fruit. Back to that illustration I used earlier. 
What if instead of putting all this pressure on ourselves in our going, that somebody had to pray the prayer, or, you know, somebody's got to be saved, or I'm a failure. What if we put going and bearing fruit together? What if we saw ourselves as people who are called to go with the good news of Jesus, but not only speaking that, but our lives matching our lips. Our lives being lives of love, peace, joy, long-suffering, righteousness, all those things that bring glory to God. See, I said at the very beginning, every one of us would find ourselves in this parable somewhere. you got to be. That's one thing about John. Man, he, he makes sure you know there's only two groups of people. There are two groups of people, those who believe and those don't, those who are connected to the vine and those who are not because they're not bearing fruit. He always makes a clear distinction. So with a clear distinction from the word, Every one of us in this place, I guarantee you, are in one of those two places. You're a person who is connected to the branch, the Lord Jesus Christ, in a vital union, or you're a person who is disconnected because you have rejected the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You have refused to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're just doing your own thing. You just don't accept him. Two groups. But then in that group of believers, there's those, it should be every one of us, should be every one of us, the Father is pruning us, taking away things, chipping away things, working on our life, conforming us to the image of His Son for His glory. We should rejoice when He prunes us we should let's bow together Lord God I just thank you for your word Lord I know there's probably much that could be said that I didn't but I pray Lord that what's really important is what your spirit does today in the lives of people God you know each of us you know our hearts God you know those maybe today still they are just resisting and rejecting the work of your spirit you love them you're drawing them I just pray Lord today for for resistance to crumble that today Lord would be the day that they really just say yes to you that they just no longer resist but they just surrender to you as Lord and Savior that you just make the words that they have heard from friends and pastors and different places. And you just make that word today just, just convict them and convince them of their sin and of the truth of Jesus. And I pray for your people who are gathered here today. God, help us. Don't ever let us get into that thing of playing religious games. Let us always remember that true Christianity is about being connected to you. And that it's your life that matters. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for seeking us and calling us, saving us, satisfying us. In Jesus' name I pray.